a lot of the comments I get anecdotally from patients. So, you know, you help my acid reflux after I watched your video or you encourage me to get bowel cancer screening or, you know, all of these things, those little messages I get every now and then, that's enough for me to keep doing what I want to do. Today we have hit the big 5-0, 50 episodes. So excited that we got to this milestone and really, really wanting to thank everybody that has rolled up their sleeves and got on with making this an awesome, awesome podcast. So just to mention some names, obviously the whole of the Medic Footprints team, uh, Loretta Iona, who is our podcast strategist. Uh, we've got the Progressive Property team as well. Sorry, Progressive Success. I should really know the name. Um, and yeah, everyone else that listens. So for you, if you've been listening for a while, thank you. It's people like you that really keep us going and getting the feedback. So in order to celebrate this humongous milestone, we are holding a giveaway. So what is this giveaway? So you may have heard me talk about doctors and industry quite a lot. So we are just about to release the online course version. So this is a phenomenal course that helps doctors upskill and move to industry faster. And beyond that, we are building a repository of information to help doctors in industry grow and develop their careers. So whether this could be for you, whether this could be for a friend or a family member, this is a prize you definitely want to get because it is lifetime access. So how do you enter? All you need to do is get onto your Apple iTunes, hit follow and send us a screenshot. So that can be on Facebook, that can be on Twitter, that can be on Instagram, that can be on LinkedIn, and that could be on email at team at medicfootprints.org. Wherever you share it, like make sure you do that today. So this is the 1st of October, 2023. This is only available for 24 hours. If you're already following us, just follow us again. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is a way to get you involved in our community and helps us to achieve our mission of connecting one million doctors with the best in diverse careers opportunity. So don't forget, go on iTunes, hit follow, send us a photo and you're in the giveaway and we will announce that soon. And you have to do it today. It's the 1st of October, 2023. All right, on to the next episode, which is featuring a great friend of mine, Dr. Karan Rajan, who is going to share with us his top tips on amplifying his doctor voice. He has millions of followers, by the way, and he has a full-time NHS job. How? We find out shortly. So let's get real. Our value as doctors has significantly diminished over the last decade. So how can we turn that around by upskilling and creating rewarding and impactful careers on our own terms? Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million talented doctors with the best in diverse career opportunities. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about finding your voice through personal branding, building your credibility, building your authority, 
and in most cases, just having fun with it, thought leadership to the max. How can you best do that as a way forward in your career outside of conventional medicine? So today we're talking about how to amplify that without fear of backlash from people that aren't doing it. And uh, to discuss this, we have brought in the internet personality if you google him he's labeled as an internet personality i have to say uh dr curran uh Rajan, who is a surgeon in the nhs and a self-styled online educator so we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means but welcome curran how are you today yeah, thank you very much for having me Abena. yeah awesome. i'm great uh, i've got a day off today so yeah just getting along with social media stuff personal work looking after my dog all sorts awesome like one of the first questions when he said uh questions I had when he asked when he said that he had a day off was I was like day off what because if you so I'll just read out some figures here that I found out so on Instagram Karen has 676,000 followers on YouTube he has 1.49 million subscribers right millions right um and on linkedin it seems like he's just getting started but doing it very quickly um and i'm like so so yeah what what day off are you having right but this is really interesting but but let's get to the like the first key question which is what are you doing why have you chosen social media to amplify your voice and what is a really i mean my personal opinion a very effective way yeah, so in social media, I've been doing it in one form or another since 2012. That's actually when I first started on YouTube when I was a medical student still. And I made content geared towards healthcare professionals, OSCE style content. So geared towards helping medical students, nursing students with exams and clinical skills. And then I just became very busy with finals, being a junior doctor, all these things. And YouTube took a back seat. And I didn't really understand the power of social media. And I don't think the world really did back then. And when 2019 came along, TikTok became a thing. I sort of dipped my toe back into the water of social media. And I pivoted what I was doing from educating healthcare professionals and people at the start of that journey to then thinking, hang on, the actual real call of the day is actually tackling misinformation and providing public health information. So that's why I took up and sort of, you know, reorganized my goals for social media. And it all started from then and the COVID pandemic, you know, reared so much misinformation. And I felt as an extension of my role as a doctor, it would be combating some of that online as well. Great. Uh, I think that's a great mission because as we know that most of the stuff we see online is questionable and no real level of accountability. And we know that YouTube in particular and the health space are doing what they can to tackle that. We can get into that later. Um, But okay, great. You've got a clear vision as to why, but how, how have you managed to amass this following? Like what, strategy did you start with and how has that changed as you've moved forward with this yeah so I would say at the start it was really like throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks Mm -hmm. um you know I I don't think anyone can go into social media if you're starting for the first time and really know what's there 
And a lot of it was just trial and error, experimenting and learning very quickly from errors and from things that did well. So, you know, I would on TikTok, for example, I would post 10 videos, one per day. And I'd see which one you know did well. And I'm a data nerd. I'm a data geek. So I looked at the analytics of all of these videos. What works? At what points do people engage? And I just did a lot of you know research on my own analytics, on my own data, and almost improved slowly, bit by bit, from there. And one of the things I want to do now, going forwards, is use my own analysis and data to help professionals who want to start on social media for the first time to almost get a head start because we need more expert voices on social media. And I'm quite passionate about you know widening access to social media, not just for makeup artists or fitness professionals or you know pranksters and comedians but actually healthcare professionals because more of their you know demographic the patient population are finding themselves on social media and i'd mm -hmm. rather they listen to experts than you know uh pete from uh the neighborhood who's spouting conspiracy theories yeah, I mean, I think it's quite interesting, especially what you said about really deep diving into your own analytics, which is a really important part of that process um, and learning quickly. I love that. Just as you said, throwing things out there at a wall and seeing what actually sticks. Um, but I'd, I'd love to really understand. So one of the things that I've picked up is that it's very difficult to transfer, say, a formula as to when to post, how much to post, et cetera, et cetera, to someone else, unless they literally had exactly the same target market as you. So I'd love to understand a little bit more as to how that could work when it comes to using your analytics to inform other healthcare professionals who are looking to do something similar but have a, a somewhat different target audience. And also time avail time and availability is also a key factor in this as well. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's difficult because obviously social media, you know, you, you can give someone a recipe, but the, the recipe is not necessarily like baking a cake where someone can mm. follow it and then expect a banana cake at the end. A mm. lot of the social media traction and engagement that large creators may get is based on luck sometimes. It's based on the actual creator's own personality a lot of the times, which often you can't replicate. It's just something mm -hmm. sometimes innate. You know, the really big creators out there, they have something about them which people gravitate towards. Um, but there are some very foundational basics that you can do to engage someone. And I've always told people online and people who ask me about how to grow online, it's about engaging the audience from start to finish. And how you do that, it's as old as history of the world. You know, it's telling a story and that is the fastest and best, most effective way of keeping someone engaged in your story. And a lot of these social media algorithms, they have some of the same metrics which reward creators. And that is they reward creators who can keep the audience on the platform for as long as possible. So, for example, um, you know, if you have a 50 second video and people are watching that 50 second video for 50 seconds or 49 seconds even that's a lot better than you having a you know 20 second video and people only watching for two seconds um so it's about that engagement and you can actually do things and put things in your video that can boost that engagement is there something clickbaity you say at the start or something shocking you say at the start to hook the person in what can you layer in in the story to you know keep someone watching for the next second and the next second so Although, you know, on the face of it, a 30 second video might seem, oh, it's just a quick 30 second video. 
for me anyway, there's a lot of planning and analytics mm-hmm. that goes into it. Almost every word has to be optimized because it's mm-hmm. so short and every word has some real estate and you've got to use it well to get someone in right to the end of that story. Mm. So I can imagine the amount of time that you spend essentially scripting all of your stuff because essentially, especially, especially for the shorter videos, uh, you, I, as you said, every single word counts. Um, I, I think, yeah. T- tell me more about that process. How does that work for you at the moment? Yeah. So I don't always script, you know, word for word, all of my videos. Um, I like to get a rough structure for my videos. You know, there's certain, huh. you know, learning points or talking points that I want to hit in each video. So if I'm talking about a new study that's out about cancer or, you know, immunotherapy or whatever it is I'm talking about, there's certain things I want to talk about. And you need to find a balance between something being creative and exciting and almost really engaging and fun, but also providing some of the accuracy, the evidence-based stuff, the information. And typically that stuff, which is the accurate stuff, is more boring, you know, quote unquote, boring for the average person. So how do you add in the science and, you know, the entertainment? And really, that's where you need to add in some of your own flavor. It could be, you know, visual expressions you do. It could be some, you know, visual interpretation on a green screen. I use a lot of green screen in my videos to visually depict and demonstrate my points, whether it's graphs. Um, And I think you need to find your own voice in a way. Uh, And that's taken, that process has taken me four years. I'm in my fourth Mm. year now of you know, of my re-emergence on social media, as it were. And I've learned lessons almost on a weekly basis, what works, what doesn't work. And actually, if you look at my videos in year one, year two, year three, year four, my style has constantly evolved. And I think that's part of the process. You know, you can't just do the same thing. Even if it does well, eventually people will get bored of it. You have to evolve yourself. You have to adapt to the sort of current tastes of the audience what's in vogue so scripting is one part of the things but it's also realizing what works what doesn't work and changing quite quickly because social media changes on a week by week basis yeah no i think you've, you've really made some good points that it's a process it's dynamic it's always changing but within that how do you really keep grounded according to the vision and mission that you have Yeah, I mean, I would say for one, I never felt any angst or anxiety over putting myself out there online. As I said, you know, in 2012, I was putting myself online anyway. Mm -hmm. I always verified the accuracy of the stuff I put out. And actually, you know, I I was speaking at a a big NHS event uh, recently, actually a couple of months ago, where the GMC were there as well. And it turns out they're following me. Um, Ah. You know, so I don't know. For good reasons, right? For good reasons, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, they came up to me and said that we really enjoy your content, keep it up, etc. And there were loads of... Yeah, and there were loads of senior figures in the NHS there who were all impressed yeah. by what I do. And I was talking about professional use of social media, the good and the bad. Uh, and yeah, good feedback. So most of my peers, both junior at my level, senior, patients, they've all given me positive feedback. And actually more recently, uh, I was saying to a couple of my friends recently, in the last 
10 days, I've had more and more patients recognize me. A couple of my postdoc patients uh, recognize me from YouTube. Um, some of my ward patients recognize me. Uh, staff, you know, typically recognize me in most hospitals now in the last couple of years. So all of this have been positive interactions. And although there have been some negative ones from senior figures who maybe don't fully comprehend the power and utility of social media, I, I've never felt in a position where I've been undermined or actually felt insecure because of my presence online. It's it's all positive. And the way I do the stuff, you know, it, it's it's I want to empower people to understand their health, understand their bodies a bit more. I'm I'm a simple person myself. I use simple words. I'm down to earth and a lot of the comments I get anecdotally from patients, so, you know, you helped my acid reflux after I watched your video, or you encouraged me to get bowel cancer screening, or, you know, all of these things, those little messages I get every now and then, that's enough for me to keep doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So it's that ongoing feedback from people you don't know <laughs> that you that you interact with on a day-to-day basis who are saying, hey, this is helping me keep going. I mean, I can completely identify with that. And this is one of the reasons why I've been doing Medic Footprints for nine years going on 10, because it is hard going. But the thing that does keep me going is knowing that it is making a difference and knowing that it is still 100% needed. So it's great to hear that kind of feedback echoed from your experience. And I was going to then ask mainly about I mean you've already highlighted about your level of influence and how that's changed particularly over the the last few years so I mean would you I mean you've talked to about patients you talked about senior figures we talked about the GMC um how else has your influence changed and what kind of things have you managed to achieve through having an amplified voice in that way uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's strange because, you know, when you embark on a career as a doctor, as a healthcare professional, you, you never envisage some degree of fame or notoriety or recognizability as part of that career, unless you, you know, you, you invent some new surgical technique or you publish a landmark paper. And even then you get notoriety within your sphere of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very strange for me to transcend that medical sphere and be known and recognized in the street. When I go down to London for a meeting or see a friend, someone might recognize me at the train station, at the tube, at the restaurant, something like that. And, you know, I go into London maybe once a week and um, usually one or two people now recognize me, which is an incredibly, incredibly surreal and very strange experience, which I'm still not used to. I mean, it's great, but uh, so things like that. I mean, you know, I see messages from people saying, can you tell me if this is true or not? And they will send me a video they've seen online. So I guess the the sort of real power and which I'm grateful for is having some degree of trust from people as a voice of credibility and authority that people will trust what I have to say. And that trust is earned through giving good, accurate information chronically, like, you know, consistently providing some good education and people trust you because you're not selling out. You're not you're trying to sell them some probiotic or some mm. vitamin C gummy or something like that, you know, and, and that that's what it comes to. You know, I've, I've turned down, you know, dozens and dozens of brand and ad deals over the years because it just doesn't align with what I stand for, what I believe in. And I continue to provide entertainment and education. And that that's what people 
enjoy about me and i'm just my normal self you know in the real world when friends know me that's the same person as i'm i'm online it's not a persona that i've created so there's no discordance between me in the real world and me online i think that's great to hear and i think what well, actually one of the things i was about to post myself on social media is about the power of embracing yourself <laughs> right really leveraging you the true authentic you and I find that a lot of doctors are afraid to do that for multiple reasons which I won't well I can go into some of them I think especially getting into medicine I think the general experiences I can speak for a personal experience that working in such an institution you have to be a certain way in order to succeed which may be not uh, may not completely align with who you are and because we've been especially if medicine was one your first degree which it was for me there is a huge risk of losing that because you're 100% focused on all of your exams all of your training going up that career hill and you don't really have much time for anything else so so it's great that you have retained that for yourself what advice would you give to doctors who are like I don't I don't know who I am <laughs> Like I've I've yeah. lost that. Like who who am I? What what really can I share? I mean, and actually another point that I wanted to to add to that is things like, and again talking from a personal perspective, being a black woman, right? You know, before Black Life Matters happened, being black was not really anything that was associated with success or even being a doctor in a lot of cases, yeah. right? I got questions because I was a, a surgeon before I left and went into occupational medicine. People would be like, you're too young, or <laughs> they don't say, oh, you're too black to be a surgeon. Yeah. But, you, you know, you do wonder. So, again, going online, being in an ethnic, I okay, go, quote, ethnic minority group, right, being brown, like how, I mean, it's it's great to see what you're doing and I'm like how how are you using that to your advantage and how can other people who have say qualities like being you know gender uh, disabilities another big one how can they really use that to succeed in amplifying their voice and really truly being themselves yeah, it's a really good point you raised, actually, uh, before I answer your question about, you know, mm. being a black woman in surgery. And I must say that, you know, 10 years of plus years of working in NHS, I've come across maybe three black surgeons, um, you know, that I've worked with in general surgery in 10 years, which is quite astounding if you think about it. You know, as a multicultural society, how can I you know, as an ethnic minority myself, I've only come across three black surgeons, you know, which is which is wild. And, you know, I, I've never come across a black female surgeon. So you know, I think that speaks volumes about maybe society, medicine as an institute. Um, you know, that's, that's a whole can of worms in itself. But uh -huh. I would say, you know, I, I think there is a certain privilege in medicine if you're there's privilege in medicine and then there's different levels of privilege within medicine as well. And I think whatever your story, whether you're disabled, um, you know, whatever your sexual preference or whatever your field, whatever struggles you've gone through, all of that, I feel, adds to your narrative, to your uh -huh. story, your adventure, as it were. Um, and, and it, you know, paints a nice, colourful picture of what you can then give to other people. Um, you know, I've had a certain degree of privilege in my life. I mean, my you know parents gave me a great upbringing. I don't have any complaints about that. Put me through to a great school. I went to a good university. So you know, I, I have I've had you know the good things in life. So 
I'm not going to sit here and cry about struggles because I haven't had a lot of struggles from that point of view. I've experienced racism in the NHS, prejudice, bias, and all of these things I use sometimes in my stories. When I'm talking about my videos, I don't just talk about science, medicine, and health. I talk about the nature and the reality of being you know, a, a training doctor in the NHS, to being uh -huh. surgery, experiencing racism, being disillusioned with surgery in the NHS, um, you know, having, um, you know, being bullied or, you know, all of these things. I, I think it's part of your law. And um, I use that so people can actually get a deeper understanding of me, that I'm not just this person who tells you interesting facts and debunks things, but actually a real person who's gone through, you know, highs and lows. So, and, and that is what separates you as a creator. You know, you and someone else can talk about the same thing, but then your added depth and the layers come from mm -hmm. your own personal experience in life. And I must say, there is a thin line between sharing your story and personal experiences and then trying to almost become a personality where you form parasocial relationships with your audience. And that's a very slippery slope mm, uh, if you, uh -huh. you know, form those parasocial relationships. Please explain, because actually that leads to our next question. Well, I mean, what do you mean exactly by parasocial relationships? And how also does that relate to some of the challenges in being, uh, you know, internet personality <laughs> in that sense? Yeah. So, I mean, parasocial relationship is basically, you know, you don't have a direct relationship with the person. So parasocial a social adjacent relationship with a person indirectly through reading them about them in the newspaper, online, watching videos about them. So, you know, if someone is obsessed with Tom Cruise movies and knows everything, all the films that Tom Cruise has been in and knows all about his life story, this person feels like they know Tom Cruise. They have a parasocial relationship with Tom Cruise. So someone who watches all of my content, engages with my stories on Instagram. I talk, I, you know, I share videos about my life, what I'm eating, if I'm going to the gym, my dog, uh, any worries or questions I may have. So almost like they have access to my unfiltered inner monologue and a you know, a behind the scenes of my day-to-day -day life. And they watch my videos. And if someone's watched I don't know, say a thousand of my videos, right? Thousand sixty second videos, which they may have done watching me for three or four years. That's a lot of hours that they have spent with me virtually. And you get to know the flavor of a person almost. And sometimes when I meet people, I met someone who recognized me and he was asking me about my dog. And like, you know, it's almost like a acquaintance or a friend that you've not met in a while. And that's great that people get to know you and connect with you. But there have been examples online of big creators online and people, the audience forming these parasocial relationships where sometimes, you know, when you do something, your friend might judge you. Oh, why'd you get that haircut? It doesn't suit you. Or, you know, why are you wearing that? Or, you know, oh, I don't think you should go out with that person because so-and-so. They're your friend. Maybe they can, you know, say these things. Similarly, your audience might feel they are your friends, close friends, and also make these judgments for you because they feel they know you like a family member or a friend so and there have been examples online where that has actually gone wrong and you know it can get you know quite hairy so has I'm anything gone wrong for you I'm where it's gone quite hairy i like engaging with my audience but you know there is a sometimes a thin line between um sharing everything and being an open book but also you know being an educator an online person that people enjoy but you know crossing that line into you know, there's almost no difference between you and what you do online. 
how, how do you manage that? I mean, you know, obviously you've got you, everything that we share online is filtered like it has to be. You can't possibly share your whole life online unless you've literally got a camera following you 24-7. And even that can be edited to an extent. But how how do you manage it when people do approach you and act like they know you, et cetera, et cetera? What do you say back? <laughs> yeah, um, not much. I really enjoy it. I mean, for me... <laughs> Um, it's quite a surreal feeling like you know I, I'm I, I wouldn't say I'm famous or anything there's I, I'm well known in a small pockets of the internet and when people recognize me from online it's usually because they've enjoyed something I do um, so if someone comes up to me and say hey uh, you're Dr. Curran from YouTube I'm like yeah and then I really enjoy your videos thank you very much and usually the conversation ends there sometimes it might be like you know I've improved a certain aspect of my health because of you or oh, I really enjoyed that video that you made how to come up with the ideas and you know it's kind of a superficial conversation where someone has recognized me they enjoy my content and they want to give me some praise or encouragement and I, and I really enjoy that um, and I think that's fine. I mean, I've never had any negative experiences of beating anyone, you know, in person and people that follow me when they message me, you know, I would say 99% of the time it's, you know, positive stuff. I mean, I think, I think that's great. And I, I would echo the same from my experience. I mean, I'm not exactly an internet personality, which I absolutely do not want to be, <laughs> just to be clear, because I don't personally think I manage it. I quite like being in a very specific circle and bubble. And that's about it because, you know, you don't want everyone and anyone knowing what you're doing day to day because that that's just, it, it can really mess with your head in itself. And, you know, yeah. But anyway, moving, moving on to our last question, which is about, and we've seen a number of doctors, um, particularly, I, I see like a generational shift where I'm seeing more and more, particularly medical student levels who are essentially doing the same thing. Um, I mean, I don't look at TikTok, but I can only really speak about YouTube, where they're going on YouTube, doing actually similar to what you've just described and really professionalizing the content creation. Um, many of whom, those who actually end up doing well, end up using it as an exit strategy from medicine, yeah. right? Obviously, use it for monetization, but then exit strategy. So I would say, like, where are you going with this, truly? We talked about... Um, earlier you've gone from 100% um, clinical work to 80% in the last year what do you realistically think are your plans considering how well you are doing how the popularity is growing you clearly are you're clearly offering a great service to um, millions of people across the world um, in, in your choice of going down the surgical training I mean what do you think realistically is going to happen do you have a plan um, I don't have a fixed plan as uh -huh. to, you know, am I going to quit medicine or anything anytime soon? I don't envisage I'm going to be quitting medicine fully anytime in the next 10 years. I really, you know, there's, there's some things I really enjoy about my job. And as there's something, obviously, which sometimes drive me mad. And the stuff that drives me mad is usually admin, bureaucracy, paperwork, that kind of, uh, you know, the menial stuff, which ends up being a major part of the job. But I really enjoy operating on patients and then seeing them afterwards and seeing how they are. I mean, that is why I went into surgery because I like working with my hands and I like the complexity of the anatomy and cutting things out, which shouldn't be there anymore and things like that. I, I love that. And I still do. So when I have these all day operating days, I live for it. Even if I finish at 8 PM and I start at 7 AM, I just love it. 
Um, but I would say that increasingly over the last three or four years, I've enjoyed social media on par with surgery, which I didn't expect to. I really enjoy that and the educating, which has been a passion of mine for a number of years, even as a medical student. So realistically, over the next 10 years, could I see myself slightly dialing back my hours even more? Absolutely. Would I exit medicine right now as of my thoughts right now? No, but also that can change depending on the state of the NHS. You know, if people are increasingly disillusioned with the NHS and the environment, the working conditions and all these are various other things. If it deteriorates further and my job satisfaction is worsened for various factors, I don't know, we can't predict the future. But if that is the case, I'll maybe reassess. But I certainly wouldn't move to another country to pursue medicine. I would only ever practice medicine in the UK, in the NHS. Uh, but definitely would dial back my hours so I can have more of a social life because being a surgeon, as you'll be well aware, sometimes you have almost no social life. And I do want to have a family, want to have kids, all these things. So that would be, you know, at the forefront of my mind, wanting to balance social media, my own social life and also doing surgery, which I love. I think that's I mean, I when I was in my 20s, <laughs> I think I, I chose surgery predominantly because similar to what you're saying, I really love the practicalities of physically helping someone by, as you said, cutting some something out, et cetera, et cetera. But as I grew older, I realized I still really enjoyed it, but what I didn't enjoy so much besides the admin bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera, was the, uh, the nights, <laughs> um and the long hours because I realized as I got older I just got tireder right and that for me that's where my interest started to expand beyond the clinical and started to enjoy a lot of more other things as a result of that exploration um but you know even 10 years later after starting that journey I'm still a doctor I am still a practicing occupational medicine physician I still love medicine and you know, at this time, I, I'm i also juggling in my mind as to how long do I stay a clinician considering all these other amazing things in the world that I can really make an impact in. Um, and yeah, it's a question that I'm sure that every doctor will be going through and reassessing time and time again as you go through your career, as you grow older, as you start exploring other things. Um, but I think the reality is I've seen doctors leave medicine and come back to clinical medicine um the door is always open the door is always open and it doesn't need to be you're jumping out completely as you've just described even like we've got a, a surgical friend of mine who's in health tech um still doing orthopedics half a day a week so not actually doing the surgical bit but doing the rest of it as a, a health tech lead in a company there's so many different ways of doing it. And it really is about what works for you over time, looking at the dynamic, looking at the data, your own personal data that you can look at to say, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Is this satisfying me? Is this making an impact? Um, and what more can I do? Um, I'm, I'm basically, what, what else can I do? That's from Encanto. I love Encanto, by the way. My kids love it. Um, so yeah but anyway thank you so much for joining us Karen it's been so so insightful really hearing some of your journey and understanding what's behind the face 
and the really interesting expressions when you have these videos <laughs> I see I, I love it I love it it's so entertaining um <laughs> have you got any final words and how can people reach out to you yeah you can find me pretty much everywhere LinkedIn Facebook I'll just say Curran he's all over the place pick a channel and reach out to him there that's the answer <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot for your time. Cool. Thanks, Ave. Ave. Thank you.